And we're off. Yes. You really, you really are happy with yourself. I, you know, I love that You just that get thing. this little smirk on your face. You're all happy. It's like my like pregame warmup right there. Like I'm getting ready for it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever been more sad than when Father Mike stole my thunder. That was an interesting interaction with those guys. <laughs> that was all time. I loved it. I thought it was fun. I was actually kind of nervous on how four people. Yeah. It made me think of like a morning talk show. You know, where it's like four or five people that are like that. Normally there's two, but then they'll have a few other chime in. Yeah. Like 1990s talk show FM radio style. But I think it, it, I was pleasantly surprised. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it went well. I think, I do think four people is a lot. Everybody's trying to get their thought in and I could kind of feel all four of us. Everybody's (laughs) waiting for the next guy to kind (laughs) of shut his trap so that the next guy can jump in and we're all like... Like a bunch of vultures, you know, That's we're all right. ready to like take I want the next point. No, I do. <laughs> Trying to remember like what you wanted to say. Um, but it was still a lot of fun. It was cool. Um, nobody acknowledged this or said it was actually true, but it was cool to be a companion for a day. Yeah, that is cool. You know what I mean? You fit in well in the companions. I was like by default a companion. Yeah, you would fit in well in our community. You know, you just gotta you well. You're never going to. <laughs> That's a better way to say that. You're never going to fit in our community. Other than my yeah. like once, what I don't know what we decided on, but like once a quarter podcast, I'm in. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I think, you know, I think it'd be fun too. I think it was fun doing the four, but I think it would be fun even to like swap. Oh, mix like, it different up for combos. a day. Like do like you and John and me yeah. and Mike, you know. That know. would be all time. Yeah, that'd be fun. We have a lot. Yeah. That's going to be fun as that progresses. Um, and we had, so we were recording this um, the week post Easter. So this Friday it's coming out, but how awesome your dad came into the church. I know. That's amazing. That's right. I didn't get to say it on the last one because we were nervous. We kind of like you. Yeah. I think you had kind of made a reference to it, but like now it's, it's official. Now it's official. Yeah. My dad's a Catholic. Amazing. Praise God. So happy dad to have you in the church. Um, my mom has been praying for 45 years for that. So cool. So, uh, super, super awesome. We're all thrilled and, uh, dad, we love you. So everybody's been, everybody at Lord's has been so cool. Like people, a lot of people didn't know it was my dad and they were just, they thought it was just powerful. They just were like, who are these two? And this is like really cool. And (laughs) then they found out it was my dad and they're like, Oh my God. That's right. The 10 a.m. mass on Easter when you had kind of just briefly mentioned it and the whole place like erupted yeah. and applaud. Like even for like knowing the story, obviously Easter vigil was, there was just no way um, with little Jeej. But watching it, Steph and I were like teared up. I was actually yeah. super grateful that we were still, you know, post COVID recording and, and posting yeah. live. Um, uh, but that was so awesome. Just knowing the whole in and out of it. Groucho. Groucho. My least favorite thing of all time, but welcome home. <laughs> yeah. You hate that phrase. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, pretty powerful stuff. So that was awesome. So praise hey, God. I have a question for you that just popped up as well. Yep. Not our topic. Okay. Not our oh, topic. Oh shoot. This could, this, become could our topic. this could potentially could become totally our topic. derail it. Yeah. But, um, so thoughts on, or why is it, God, this is, you're going to hate me for this. 
but going through um kind of all the masses leading up to easter the washing of the feet which also made me kind of think of especially at lords and i it may be kind of a companion feel but girl altar servers slash and what made me think of that was the washing of the feet incorporating like at lords it's only males right kind of replicating the apostles yeah is that by design like you're I've always kind of felt like with the Lords and I know we've briefly touched on it, but kind of the stance is you paraphrasing, paraphrasing men become priest. Yep. So having girls or especially with the school kids up on the altar as altar servers to me and Steph and I had this conversation, like she was an altar girl. Yep. And I said to her, I was like, I don't know if I would let Gianna, like it creates a false narrative almost and confusion yeah. to a, to a point. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, there's what the church allows. I think, and there's some issues. I don't like it when people are more Catholic than the church. So the church allows girl altar servers. You can totally do that. Um, I might be a bit of a hypocrite on this issue actually, but we don't do it at Lord's because, uh, two reasons. One, it's, it's the reason you're pointing to altar servers serving is traditionally a kind of a way of encouraging boys to think about priesthood. Makes sense. Um, and so for girls, you know, it would seem to kind of imply, I don't think it has to, but it could imply, you know, Hey, you guys should think about priesthood too. And I think the more you're around it, it's kind of like, well, why can't I be a priest? Correct. Which is a good question, you know? And, um, but that's one reason we have only boys. The other reason is this, which actually is stronger for me is that we men, we're just kind of, we're something, but we don't, boys don't want to alter serve when girls take it over. Okay. And so like girls, they, they're always great. They do a great job. When, when we have girls alter serving, it's not a hundred percent of the time. And we even had it at Lords for years. They do a great job. They tend to be better behaved. They tend to naturally be more prayerful. Uh, and so they do a great job. But when, the, when they're there, the boys, it's just something's different. And the boys don't want to do it. They don't want to alter serve. They're like, that's a girl thing. <laughs> so at Lords, it'd be, you know, in our school the, and in our parish, the culture changed where it's like cool to alter serve. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. And we have, we have some great uh, young men I mean, they're, they're still teenage boys. Who am I kidding? Who alter serve, except for Donald's a young man. Yeah. Uh, Donald Gurley is phenomenal. And he just sets a great tone for the servers. But then I think of like Carl Shree and KJ Berry. Yep. They just, they just do a great, great job. I was stoked to see, uh, side note, just personal here, kind of a relative shout out. Brady uh, Martin up there on the stage. Yeah, he did great. He did incense on Sunday. Yeah, that was yeah. all time. He did a great job. And it's just cool. Like doing incense is kind of cool. And when you can, we want boys to be interested in pursuing God and, and of course priesthood. Now, of course, most of those boys are not going to be priests, most likely at least, but you know, we want, we want to normalize it. Yeah. So, uh, and then with the foot washing, this is actually interesting. Uh, Madeline Delgahausen, I think is her married name. She emailed me and was like, Hey, I'd be interested in having my feet washed. And I said, no, because 
the church traditionally only is you're only supposed to have men because on Holy Thursday, the, the two gifts that Christ gives are the priesthood and the Eucharist. And so the, the liturgy didn't allow for women. She, I haven't had a t- chance to look at it yet, but she emailed me and she, she's, I think she said the, that, that, that rule has changed, which the Vatican has the authority to change that rule. So if, if, if she did, if it did change, we might look at changing that. The hard part for me is like, you want to make a clear distinction about priesthood, but also like with the altar server thing and all this, I always feel bad for the girls. Cause I would, I want something that's really cool for the girls, but it's only girls. No yeah. boys allowed. And it sucks. Cause you're kind of like, Oh, sorry. I did said the S word mom, <laughs> but for the girls, you don't want it to be like, Oh, Hey, we've got the altar linen club. Yep. And not the B team. I, it just feels, you know, and, and, and a lot of women, don't get me wrong, they'll, they'll do the altar linens and they're devoted and there's something beautiful and like they care for the things of the mass. But I think also like, I don't know, it just, it would be cool to have something that's like more active and like visible, I guess. Yeah. Although I just have torn feelings about it. Christianity doesn't tend to emphasize putting ourselves in a visible place, right? It, it wants things to be hidden. The the great saints tend to be saints who are hidden. So when we were having this discussion, um, and I think I knew <laughs> I just felt like it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and it was from the standpoint of and correct me if I mean the washing of the feet were the apostles. It was males, yeah, all males. Yeah, it's, I mean we're doing the Last Supper. We're really yeah. doing the Last Supper. Yeah, so kind of redefining that it felt like you can't pick and choose things out. I mean, this kind of deviates like the Protestant side of like, we believe in scripture, but then all of a sudden you, to me feels like dramatically alter the meaning behind it, the meaning and the actually what happened per scripture. Yeah. And so to me, that kind of like rubbed me wrong, but then from the altar, um, altered boy girl standpoint, and it may be my sensitivity to where we're at today as a culture. Mm-hmm. Obviously a big leap here for sure. But I do feel like there's a parallel in what I'm feeling of if Gianna got up there to be an altered girl, it kind of creates this false narrative that leads to what? Like it doesn't go there. Like you can't. And what I feel is you're a boy. You can't say you're suddenly a girl, right? Like sure it's all of a sudden start, it could lead to this. Why well, I want to be an altar boy. Like it, to me, it creates more conflict than it does any yeah. sort of solution. I, mean, I don't think it has to go there, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, it makes me hypersensitive, I yeah. guess, to it. No, I get it. And I mean, we have a lot of prisoners that would be really uncomfortable with girl altar servers. I think they're a little, they might overplay that a bit, but yeah, I, I, I our culture, I, I think one of the roots of the, a lot of these problems, our culture doesn't understand dignity. And it doesn't because we've lost that because we've lost our belief in God. And so it's like, where does dignity come from? Why, why does a person have more dignity than a bug? Right. Right. And and you know, a lot of environmentalists don't get why they're like, they don't, they're like, we should care as much about, you know, and a lot of times they care more about let's save the turtles or whatever, but they're all (laughs) pro-abortion. Right. And so they don't, my point is they don't know where to locate dignity. And 
so what, what most people do is they locate your dignity in what you do. And, and so for instance, this is why a lot of people think we should be able to kill people in the womb if they have genetic disorders or if they're prone yeah. towards if we can test them right. And if they have down syndrome, right. Uh, those, those babies are typically these days aborted and which is an awful, awful thing. But the, I think there's a parallel here, which is women oftentimes, you know, in the, the feminist movement, they want to be equal to men, which they are, but they think it, they, they don't know where to put equality in dignity. And so they put it in what we do. Yeah. And so, so for a woman to be equal to a man, she has to do the things that a man can do. And now we're so confused, right? We're like, really, there's no real difference. It's just plumbing. Right. I mean, you'll hear, you'll hear prominent people say, and I mean, in the pro gay movement, one of the big arguments was love can't be about plumbing, which is right. a, a caricature, but the, the Catholic teaching would say, you know, your biology, your bodies matter. They're meaningful uh, things. But so, yeah. So I think with altar serving, it's like, there's kind of a, a rhetoric and a logic out there that people think uh, to be equal, we have to do the same things. Now, you know, there's, I think there are some good things that came out of the feminist movement. I do, you know, there's, there's things that we cringe at. Like, I don't like the woke agenda. I'm ticked at Disney. Yep. Someone the, like the other day was like, we should watch a Disney movie. I'm like, nope, not doing it. Same. But, you know, as much as I don't like the woke agenda, there are some things that have been not in the woke agenda so much, but there are things we can admit like, Ooh, that didn't age very well. So Peter Pan is my big I don't like that everything is yeah. whistleblowing on racism these days. And I grew up watching Peter Pan. Oh, yeah. There's definitely, the, I mean, the, the song, What Made the Red Man Red, I'm like, oh, that doesn't. That's that, definitely yeah. frowned upon. Yeah, that's. Which makes sense. Yeah. So I think there are things like that. And in feminism, I think there are some good things that came out of fe the feminist movement. Like, you do meet men who are condescending towards women. 100%. And who are controlling and kind of you know, your opinion doesn't count type thing. Uh, but that being said, also, I think the feminist movement, much of it, it didn't know where to put women's dignity. So it said a woman can only be equal to man because she can function as a man. Um, and I just don't think that's true. You know, like women, thank God they're different. The world would have blown up by now for all men. Yep. So, so I think, I think with altar servers, you know, people think that way. They're like, why can't women be priests? And the world's caricature is, well, the Catholic church just thinks, you know, men are better and women couldn't give a homily. It's like, of course they could give a homily. Of course they could learn theology. Many of, we, there's brilliant female theologians in the church, but. It reminded me. So today we did a, a staff holy hour um, Bible study. It was awesome. FB gave me his Bible. And I was just crushing all the answers because I was reading your clip. I notes. forgot. I totally should have remembered that you had that. That was so funny. <laughs> I, was, I was like dying for the opportunity to find your cliff note that would get an answer right. But as you were, as we're kind of walking through this, it did remind me, and we, today we went through the, the road to Emmaus and, and that story, but how we started on the topic of the apostles and again, help me here, but there's the apostles and then women yep. and primarily Mary and everyone, the role of being a disciple. So there's the apostles that turns into, yep, and not, and 
the like Mary in the garden, Mary Magdalene, nobody saw the body, right? What was the analogy you kind of gave there? Like there, I, I, where I'm going with that is there is a role for women is what it felt like. There's the a huge role. Yeah. So, so Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize Jesus, That's right. right? That's right. So he has his resurrected body. And in Luke 24, at the beginning of the chapter, you have Mary Magdalene in the garden. And this is, um, we might get to this today. We'll see where we're going, but the resurrection is about new creation. And, uh, Jesus doesn't rise when he rises from the dead. It's not just to the type of life that you and I have. Uh, it's not the normal biological life. So for instance, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus came back just to our life as we know it. Not so with Christ. When Christ rises from the dead, it's not just back to this earthly life. It's to resurrected eternal life. And that's not just a qual or quantitative. That doesn't eternal life does not mean today extended to infinity. It means a different type of life. It means a life that is elevated, that is infinite in quality. Um, and so Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize him. And that's part of the reason is because it's a different, his body has entered into a, a new dimension of reality, a more full dimension of reality. What Patrick's getting at, right? And connected to all this, and this is where I do think, you know, I think sometimes we, uh, we just assume, that, like, there's a way that politics and different kind of ideas go together in America or in conservative circles or liberal circles or whatever. But they don't have to. It's just kind of sometimes the way that we've decided to, and the culture has decided to kind of cluster these things together. But um, one of the things is like when people talk about a greater role for women in the church, we think that that's like, uh, this is progressive. Right. And I don't think it has to be that. Like women can't be priests, but there, I think there's, um, the role of women in the New Testament is massive. And so, Patrick, we were talking this morning in, in the ancient world, women are not allowed to be witnesses in a court of law. So they're not, their testimony is not admissible. And the gospels make a big deal that all the first witnesses to the resurrection are women. And not only are they women, but the women become the witnesses. And what I said in our Bible study for our staff this morning is they're the apostles to the apostles. The apostles don't believe yet. And they're kind of knuckleheads. They don't get it. And the women are the first ones to really believe. And they carry the message of the resurrection to the apostles, which is pretty cool. It's so awesome. It, Cause it definitely, we have been asked that. And by we, it was, I was near the speakerphone when Steph was asked this, <laughs> but that the church is oppressive to women. Yeah. And it, and it kind of, you know, Hearing that today, I was like, wow, that definitely flips a lot of things on its head. Yeah. So the, the three great prophets of the modern world, we would say, and we mean that in kind of a mocking sense, but, you know, Christianity and Judaism, we have prophets. Uh, secular society has three great prophets in the modern world, we would say. Uh, Freud, uh, Marx, and Nietzsche. And so... Freud's big message is it's all about sex. Hmm. Uh, Marx, his big message is it's all about money. And Nietzsche is it's all about power. Yeah. 
And so, so when people say the church is oppressive, they're thinking, they tend to think through Nietzsche's lens is that life is about power. That's the opposite of what Jesus teaches. Totally. And, and the, and like the, you know, when people ask about women and the priesthood and things like this, I, I laud some of, you know, Pope Francis has put some women, uh, into roles of authority in the church. And I think there's a place for that. I think that's, I think that should absolutely happen. It's different from the priesthood though. Uh, but, um, Christianity doesn't think in terms of power plays. I know priests who do, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it. That's what we call a sin. Like it's not thinking with the mind of Christ, right? The way, the way the world works is power, authority, promote self-promotion, these kinds of things. You know, at the last supper in Luke, I think it's in Luke, Luke 22 is the last supper, but I think it's in, in Luke's gospel. Um, Let's turn the pages. Uh, let's see if I can find it really quick. Um, yeah, so Luke twenty two twenty four, A dispute arose among them, which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Right? And this, this relates to our conversation about authority and power in the church. Yep. Why aren't there more women? Um, and he said to them, so Jesus speaking to the apostles, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For which is the greater, one who sits at table or one who serves? The obvious answer to that is the one who sits. Because what Jesus is referencing is if, you're, if someone's serving at table, they're a slave. And so the one who's seated at the table is greater than the slave. Yep. So hear that again. He says, for which is the greater, the one who sits at table or the one who serves? Well, the obvious answer would be the one who sits at table. The next verse, Jesus says, is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. And Christians, we all know that Jesus is the greatest, of course. And so if we, we flip that on its head, you know? Yep. And so when people are like, oh, the church is oppressive to women, that's a, that's a, someone who does not think with a Christian mind and a Christian mind says, uh, <clears throat> the one who is greatest is the one who is the lowest. Um, so finally, the last thing I would say is, you know, conservatives were used to thinking like you're more orthodox if you are super, super respectful of priests, maybe. And I think the priest, the office of priesthood deserves respect. The teaching of Jesus Christ is that priests are servants of the church. They are not lords. They are not masters. Um, Pope Francis got rid of the title Monsignor for priests, which is my favorite thing that he has done. Whoa. I love that he he did that very early on in his papacy. (laughs) Because the... um, Everything you read about priests in the gospels, we think priests are, and it, I mean, this is, it's just a funny thing how culture works in my world. Some of you out there listening in radio land, kind of can't believe you're listening, <laughs> but in my world, like if you wear a cassock and you talk really formally and you, you know, th- these things mean that you're a good priest and I, I don't have anything against cassocks except they're kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> they look cool, you know? They, they look very dignified. I like the cassock. I never wear mine because it's just uncomfortable. Um, 
But why does that make you a good priest? The teaching of Jesus in the gospels is don't sit at the most prominent place at table. Don't love your titles. And that's why I love that Pope Francis got rid of the title Monsignor. That title is not in the gospels. It's invented. I don't even know when, but it was a way to honor priests. Priests are not supposed to be about honors. Wow. I didn't know he did that. Yeah. I was, I love that. And all it did, if you talk to any priest, all that happens, like a, um, a bishop can work to get a priest or a number of priests named Monsignors and it has to go to the Vatican. And the t- apparently that really means literally like the word means my Lord. And I'm just like, Oh, that's antithetical to everything the priest is supposed to be about. So, so Francis got rid of it. And like what happens among priests is uh, when someone's a Monsignor, all it does is create jealousies. Right. Why is that guy? Why is he a Monsignor? Why I deserve me? it. Yeah. yeah. Why is that guy made it? It's stupid. I'm so glad that's gone. What about, I, I, this is another question I've always had in your cliff note version, like you hear it for just lay people, but also priests, like he is a very holy man, woman, or he is a very holy priest. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of touch on like, yeah, okay. They talk a certain way or they wear the cassock or any of that kind of stuff. There's a certain ambiance, right? There's a certain, yeah. and I'm not against it. I think, you know, there's aesthetic ambiance, like the way we carry ourselves matters. But in my experience, it's very common that people confuse that for holiness. Yep. Like holiness does not mean that you wear a cassock or you talk and you talk and you're like, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. <laughs> That's not what it means. I mean, to be, to be holy doesn't mean that. And I, I don't know. I have way too strong of opinions about everything, but I oftentimes think people can, f- it's very easy to just look at externals. Yeah. And people think a priest is holy because he wears a cassock. I'm like, you know, and I, I fell for it too. Before I became a priest, I used to think like, a common comparison people will use is they'll say a priest wearing his collar is like a married man wearing his wedding ring. And, and before I was a priest, I would use that analogy a lot. And I, now I'm just like, no, that doesn't, it's a really bad analogy. It's just not true. Why is that? Um, cause it's just not the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I do think priests should wear their collars in public just cause I think it's a good witness. Yep. And I think especially uh, like if you're a younger priest, you know, and it's great in the priesthood, if you're under 90, you qualify as a younger priest. (laughs) Cause I had this, I had this the other day. So a good friend, um, some friends of ours, Dawn has someone who's working with her. And so Dawn's a Protestant woman. She's wonderful. We love her. The best. She is phenomenal. And I, oh, I'm going to forget her. She has someone working with her now. I forget her name. I've only met her once. But they're both Protestants. And actually the, the other woman, her husband, I guess, is a pastor, is a Protestant pastor. And I bumped into them and this, this new woman, I, I'm sorry, I'll, I will remember your name at some point. She was like blown away because she's like, I just always picture priests being like 90. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm touche. I'm halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so I do think it's good for priests. I think it, it's a great witness when people see, wow, there are young men who give up marriage because they love Christ. Um, but it doesn't make you a good priest because you wear your collar all the time. Right. I think, it's, I think it's a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I think it's good. doesn't mean you're holy. 
And I just think we fall too quickly for those things. And I also think we, it's, I mean, it hit me so hard today, just even reflecting on Mary Magdalene, but we also do, in my opinion, the opposite. Or yeah. when it comes to the other side, we do the same thing. The judgment that comes, um, I had a buddy of mine who I haven't even thought about it. He played football with me at CU. We overlapped a little bit, but was a dear friend and then went down a, a really slippery slope addicted to painkillers that just mm. led to a ton of other things. And it's, I went onto his social media recently and after multiple sense of rehab, now almost every single one of his posts are scripture. Oh, like awesome. he's posting it all the time. And then it made me think of my dad who's now 17 years sober, but his journey through AA yeah. and how it, you know, a, and the steps kick off with Christ. And, and there's a lot of emphasis and you really, people find, yeah. find Christ in the darkest moments. Yep. But then I also think like the minute somebody says, or you get around somebody who has actually struggled that way. It's kind of like an awkward, like, Ooh, I don't want to get too close kind of feel. Mm. And you kind of can judge them for not being holy, mm. but then in a weird way, they could be, they had a, a nasty past Mary Magdalene style, yeah. but is now the disciple to go out and be the apostle to the apostles. Totally. Yeah. And this is, this is really related so we're in Easter season now and the, the real, the real thing about the Easter story is it's about new creation. That's what it's about. And so all the gospels, if you're out there listening, I told our staff this morning, the, uh, we just, we, we've been so ingrained in a culture of Christianity that teaches us that Christianity basically means have faith, live a moral life, and hopefully you go to heaven. And, you know, all those things are good and fine as far as they go, but that's not, but Christianity is so much more than that. What Christianity is about is about new creation. And it's no accident, all of the resurrection accounts, <clears throat> they all want to say to us, God is making all things new. And so, you know, in Luke 24, when the women go to anoint the body of Jesus, they go early in the morning on the first day of the week. And there's all this emphasis on uh, Sunday, which is the day God created the world, right? That's the day the creation story begins in Genesis 1. Mary Magdalene mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Um, it's dawn. Uh, in Luke 24, I don't know that we have time for this today, but <clears throat> the road to Emmaus, which we talked about in our staff Bible study, there's two disciples. Many of you have heard this out there, but the two disciples are a married couple. And it's evening of Easter Sunday. They're walking to Emmaus. The sun goes down. This is echoes of Genesis chapter two, where Adam and Eve in the garden walk with God. And, and so the, the Easter story here is about what God is doing is he's making things new. Uh, and so like your, your buddy, right? Like holiness is about letting God make us new. It's about, it's not about, wow, like I was in a bad place. I went to confession and you, that's great. You should do that. But it's not just that. It's that, wow, God is making me new from the inside out. And he's making this world new. That's, that's what the resurrection story is. So powerful. Yeah. 
for whatever reason, it may be just even my own past, like this, the concept of Jesus was here and spent time in the darkest of places with such gnarly stories, especially back then of breaking traditional Jewish law. And even if you look at it from this standpoint today versus the Pharisees and, and kind of that whole dynamic of, mm-hmm. and when you think of putting it into your words of the new creation, it is just, especially being the new guy, it's not what you would think. Yeah. Like when you look at scripture, it's not. Yeah. And this is why we, we've got to let like in the church and then back to these like roles for women, we have to let what, what it means to be Orthodox is not, it doesn't, it's not these things we've kind of lumped together in our minds. This, we need to always re-examine our assumptions by what the scriptures teach and what the church teaches. Yeah. And women, this is kind of a cool thing. We are, when we think of the church, so Balthazar, he's, he's got to kind of make his cameo appearance. It's like Alfred Hitchcock. That's right. Do you watch any Hitchcock movies? No. You never seen Hitchcock movies? I've never seen that Robin Williams movie. The, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. That one. I didn't watch Hitchcock. I think you're more likely to see Hitchcock than even Good Morning Vietnam. Really? No Hitchcock? <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. You never seen North by Northwest or Vertigo or The Birds? Or... No, I've, I've heard and want to attend South by Southwest, but have never watched <laughs> North by Northwest. North by Northwest is a great movie. No. Well, Hitch, so Hitchcock. Anything not in color, I'm, I'm oh my gosh, you're probably a, just you are so biased. going to the next station. Hitchcock is famous for in his movies. He makes cameo appearances. So he always shows up in the movie for just like a cameo. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And where was I going with this? Oh, Balthazar. Balthazar. Like Balthazar is like our cameo. He's yeah. like, he has to make his cameo on every podcast. But he has, he has this concept with, when we think of the church, we think of the hierarchical church. Yep. But this is, I think this is, again, it's not just the modern world. There's, there's reasons we think that way. But the church is the primary figure. And if you take after Jesus, Jesus is the one who represents the church the most. But after him, the person who represents the church in the New Testament is who? Mary. Mary. Yes. And most people would say Peter. Ooh. Because yeah. they, they always think Peter is like the church because he gets the keys. Right. And, you know, they're not wrong. Mary, though, is, is the church, not Peter. And, and the church, Mary is the archetype of the church, meaning the perfect image of the church. Because, and this is, again, this is where everybody just gets it so backwards. Whenever people ask me about women priests and altar servers and all these other things, they're thinking about power. Yeah. The Greek, you know what the Greek word for that is? Dunamis. <sighs> I don't know why I ask these questions. But yeah, so everybody just thinks about power, but that's not how the church thinks. Now, are there people in the church who think that way? Of course they are. And that's not good. And like, I feel like in the clerical world, meaning priests and deacons and bishops, uh, there's, there's a lot of this. It's kind of like the last supper, that, that verse we quoted a minute ago about, um, they had a dispute about who would be the greatest among them in Luke 22. Yep. That like is still happening today. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're, we are the worst priests are like, who's the greatest among us. And I'm guilty of it too. You know, I, um, when people like join other churches, I'm like, but that church is terrible. Ours is better, <laughs> you know, and it's so stupid, but I totally do it. It is weird when we go into staff meetings and you make us bow to you. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. That would be all time if that was true. Just kidding. That was that was a joke. Um, yeah, I. It really today's little the Bible study today was there was so much to reflect on. Um, even just outside of the actual purpose of the Bible study, there was just so many things that were just kind of hitting me upside the head. Outside of it, yeah. which seriously, it actually was beyond beneficial to see your cliff notes. Oh, in yeah. there and like you had like what you underlined and like referencing other parts of scripture but then also like you had the the circle with the line going to another passage like within yeah. the same page it is it is just crazy you know it's funny like yeah no i love being in the scripture that way a cool thing right now for easter i think though with the new creation like think about this this is kind of crazy Everyone is always trying to reach for Christian truth, whether they know it or not. And I was thinking about this. When you don't have belief in the resurrection and the new creation, weird stuff starts to happen. But I think a big part of it is that everybody's is, is the beauty industry. Okay, go on. So everyone, I think like... um I think Colorado. So we live in Colorado, one of the most fit uh, states in the is, country. Yep. Is it the fittest? I think uh, it might I think be. It, it was, is Boulder was like the spot in Colorado for a while. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it's definitely up there. Makes sense. So I think, I think one of the counterfeits to hope and resurrection is I've just got to have my body in absolute perfect shape. And which is, I mean, being in shape is a good thing, right? But you can push it so far yep. that it's like, this is my hope. And not just being in good shape, but of course being beautiful. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I feel it. I'm like, you know, I'm always trying to fight the priest bod. And so I was at, the, I'm at the gym a lot because I like to eat what I like to eat. Yeah. So I got to go to the gym a lot, but you look around and I'm like, man, everyone's, everyone is freaking gorgeous. Everyone is fit. <laughs> and, and I think one of the big things in our culture right now is that if you don't believe in new creation, if you don't think God can make you new and the resurrected body, eternal life, there's just this kind of cult of we're trying to create the resurrected body ourselves. Yeah. It is kind of a, man. So yesterday, um, it, there's two times of the year that just, are the worst. And yesterday was my mom's birthday. And I was kind of telling Steph, she came downstairs and I was like, um, when I do my, the bike riding, you know, and where the little heart rate monitor, the Zwifting, the Zwifting, yeah. um, the big motivation there for me, cause it fitness used to be aesthetic and vain, right? Like and okay. the eating disorder and all that kind oh, of yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, for you. You mean for me? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, 100% there. But now when my mom passes unexpectedly with heart stuff yeah. in her sleep, it has been this thing of like, I just want to train my heart and, mm. and you know, that whole aspect and push it more out of just, I don't want to look at it as like a fear, but as a motivation. Yeah. Um, but now kind of be on the other side and looking back on where I was at, five, 10 years ago, it was a really slippery slope. And that's where it's like, it kind of bugs me sometimes where it, 
the go-to um, for a lot of people in the health and fitness space or even the beauty space, it is um, your body is the temple, yep. you know, that you've been given your soul. Yeah. And that gets, in my opinion, pushed way too far yep. of therefore it needs to be the best of the best, but then that can easily lead to steroids and extra supplements in the name of making your body look yeah. a certain way. I think, you know, it's so funny. I think this is really pertinent. I think uh, it's so common that when, when people abandon God and when culture does, they actually still look for the goals of the Christian life, but they try to achieve them without God and on their own. Yep. Right. And so, so I think this is part of it. It's like health is a good thing, right? Like your body is good. God made your body good. And so health is, it's good to take care of your body, but without God, it becomes this idol and it's done in the wrong way. And it, your intentions get twisted. It's very similar. I think also to part of new creation, God wants to make the whole world what it's supposed to be. And so like Pentecost is part of the new creation. Uh, at Pentecost, God has all the different languages understand each other. Every, every, uh, nation hearing the gospel in Jerusalem on that day, they all hear in their own native language. Um, think of like our world. We're always like fighting for globalism. Yep. Right. And even in society, like in the United States, we have such brutal politics these days and everybody's fighting for what their idea of the perfect city and the civilization looks like. And it's so interesting. I think when we lose God, we still want the same things, Yep. but they all get twisted and we're going after it. I think, I think in our country right now, because we don't believe in God anymore, we're going after policy and like this law is bad and that law and this cultural thing. And people fight like crazy and, and people on the right are like, if we just had more free markets, if we just got the government kicked out and on the left, they're like, no, we need the government more involved because there's so much injustice. And on both sides, I'm like, you know, those, those arguments matter, but God is the only one who can actually build that perfect city in this world. Just like the resurrected body, you know, doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of your own body, but you should, it's relativized. You can't create a resurrected body. You can't create the perfect society. You can't do it. The only one who can do that is God. Yep. Uh, anyway. It, it's, uh, <laughs> even going back to what we discussed today as a staff or what you were just saying too, of um, at the last supper mm -hmm. where it is like the hierarchy that starts to form there. Like even when you are trying to live the perfect Christian life yeah, and which was kind of fascinating when we had um, the praise and worship night and uh, Lenten night, I believe the encounter encounter. Yeah, and there was, you know, um, confessions and whatnot. And Steph on the drive. <laughs> it's always so classic. Like there's me driving down ready to just enjoy the night. And then there's Steph whipping out the, um, looking up. What do you call it again for confession? All the that act, examination, yeah, the conscience, yeah. that, and she's like reading it off and I'm like, Oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> I'm like, dude, there's a new song I want to listen to. Um, but then as she starts going through it, I start to realize I'm like, wow. Okay. 
Like you think you're living a certain way. Yeah. And when you really kind of start to dive into like what the church actually teaches, it there's a lot to just notice yeah. and it's hard to do. And I've also said to you, I mean, it drives me nuts. I, we know I don't read, I do audiobooks and audiobook version. I tried doing um, Dante mm. audiobook, impossible. No dice. Like there's no, it is so intense. I often say like, I need to do the audiobook while following along. Yeah. You know what would be tough about Dante is like reading Dante, you need good commentary. You need someone who can, who like, and the, the version of Dante I have, I have a translation from Dorothy Sayers. And what the important part isn't even the translation. I mean, that matters, but it's the commentary. Yeah. Because at the end of every canto, which is a section in the um, Divine Comedy, she explains what happened she explains yeah she's like here are the images in that section and here's here's what they mean and without her i would have been totally lost oh that's crazy okay so i'll need to i wonder if they have that how do you do that on audiobook though do they have i mean finish a chapter and she's like okay so now i'm going to explain yeah (laughs) i don't know i mean that's that's what should happen yeah Yeah. uh father john that'd be a good podcast you and father john could do that because he taught a class this semester on dante Really? Yeah, at the seminary. Oh, cool. I yeah, I find it fascinating. I really want to understand it. It's like one of the things I aspire to. Um but so what I typically go like lean towards, especially just in the car driving around, is much more like motivational secular books. Yep. Um Tony Robbins and Tony Rod the likes of them all. Um but Joel Osteen. No, 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 no. I, I do. There's a new documentary on Hillsong. Have you seen that? No, we're getting off topic. Keep going. They really derailed. Um, but (laughs) I've often said it to you, the, it drives me nuts now looking more at life. Not that I fully do, but looking life through the Christian lens, hearing some of these authors now that simply just remove God like chapter one Um, and it's a virtue of the Christian life and they remove God and they're like, you know, I came to this realization. It's like, uh, man, it's pretty crazy. Whether they intentionally remove the God piece, it's an underlying thing that you see in life. Kind of what you were just touching on earlier of it's there and we're all seeking it, but we've deviated from the Christian life. And it just, it drives me nuts as I kind of see that play out but also find it so fascinating. It's just like, gosh, you just want to add in that, yeah. that piece to it. Balthazar talks about, so that there's a group of thinkers called, uh, this referred to as like secular humanism. And what that means is in after, so, so when you go in the enlightenment, you can have a, f- a fixation on science and technology, which are fine things, but, but you can lose what's human. And the secular humanists are people who are trying to, uh, and then they're related to some of the people we've talked about, like Freud and Nietzsche and Marx and some of these guys, but they, um, they want to talk about what it means to be a human being, but without God. And Balthazar would talk about them as, um, basically what they do is they, they come into the church and they steal the church's wealth because literally they're taking yep. everything from Catholicism but they just try to leave God out of it. But at the end of the day, that's going to corrupt. If, if, you, if you try to remove God from these things, 
they become corrupted. Gosh. Maybe maybe not immediately, maybe maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually they they'll be corrupted. For sure. So fascinating. That's a, a the treasures. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It's just simply plagiarizing with, without one gigantic but small word that obviously has significant meaning. Yeah, but I mean, Balthazar talks about it as there's a, a story in um, Second Chronicles where Babylon is about to conquer Jerusalem. And I believe it's Hezekiah. King Hezekiah allows the Babylonians into the city to come and he like tours them through and he shows them all the treasures of the temple and God, God rebukes him because the Babylonians are going to come steal all the treasures of the temple. Balthazar says that's secular humanism. Is they, they come into the church and they steal all of its treasures, but they're actually pagans and they steal things that don't belong in the pagan world. They, they belong to the church. Oh, which is, I mean, it, it really is true. I mean, I, I read these things, you read things out there and you're just like, oh my gosh, people, for whatever reason, they don't want to believe in God. They don't want to follow God. They want to be their own masters, but they want all the church's wisdom. And it doesn't work that way. You can't just transfer it. It's, it's going to die. It's like Morgan in our office. So she brought back a palm from Hawaii and tried to plant it in Colorado. I'm like, good luck with that. You know, that's kind of what it's like. It's like you take this like thing from paradise and try to plant it somewhere else. It doesn't work. You got to, you got to plant it in its native soil and the church's wisdom. Uh, you know, it, the, the palm tree, the palm that she planted lasted, I think for like a, two months. Yeah. And so the, the church's wisdom can, I guess, breathe in the air of secular society for a little bit of time. But eventually it deteriorates. I think one more thing on this, we're way all over the board today. I had a great conversation with a guy who, um, he went to a classical great books education, uh, in college. We were talking about, he's a Catholic and all the, and so those terms are kind of used interchangeably, liberal arts, classical, great books. Uh, there, there's slight differences, but basically they're the same thing but he went to a liberal arts program um, for university. And he said, you know, he said today, you know, a lot of the things that I argued in class, they were, he said, we're really good. We had these healthy discussions. We would debate about things back and forth with the professor. He said, at my university, you couldn't do that today. You would be kicked out of the school because of the kind of woke culture that's come over. Yep. I think this is a great example. The liberal arts, the classical kind of mindset, it has an environment it's supposed to live in. It's supposed to live in Hawaii. It's supposed to live in the church. Yep. And the modern world rejected it. And all these liberal universities, and I don't mean liberal politically, but educationally, liberal means free in Latin, liber. The liberal arts have been corrupted in the environment of secularism. And they've, they've become the centers of wokeism and the opposite of everything they're supposed to be. They've become the places where you're not allowed to think you have to obey what everybody says. I like that analogy of Morgan taking the palm from Hawaii (laughs) and trying to plant it in Colorado. But that's, I think with, with these books, sometimes, you know, there's good there. When you take God out of it, it's going to, 
deteriorate at some point. Uh, so the thought on the palm really quick. So we just got in and out, you know, in Colorado. The, yeah, the chain. The number one reason, um, in and out found in California. Then I went to, um, I don't know the exact order, but Arizona and Nevada. Um, they cannot and would not go to states. Their logo being the crossing palm trees. Okay. And I haven't driven, uh, I've driven by it, but I haven't actually looked if they still, how they pull that off. They, I don't know. They always have, it's like the golden arches, but they okay. have the, pool, the two palm trees. So there was big news that they just came to Colorado and everyone's like, well, why don't they expand? They should be everywhere like a Burger King in and out or a sure. Burger King McDonald's. But that was thing anyways. I don't know. If, I don't know how they got around that. That I can't imagine they survive well in the snow. So they were only going to states that had palm trees? That could have the climate for the palm trees. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, it's... Oh, the, the wokeism in the liberal schools is really fascinating to me as well. Um, yeah. It's like a palm tree in Colorado. It is. Yeah, I don't know. It's a whole, it's a, a different dynamic for me as well. I was watching, um, I was watching Matthew McConaughey's uh, Oscar acceptance speech from 2014, I believe. And he came out the gates. Me too. The know, first thing. Who who wasn't just watching? Well, that? this this got someone told me to watch it, and because I hadn't seen it yet, but he come he goes up on stage, and one of the first things he says is he thanks God, and and like yeah. really thanks God, like not just like a you know I want to thank God, I want to thank my mom, and like right. quickly deviates. He really goes into it. Yep. And was a bolt like that today. Realistically, could easily get you canceled. It's crazy. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone off the deep end. It's intense. We had hoped to talk about, I mean, it was new creation. Um, I don't know what we're going to call this podcast. Cause we didn't talk about, we were all over. I'm going to title it Gianna as an altar girl, not happening. You could call it. <laughs> yeah. Right. You could call it like word vomiting. Yeah. Well, but I appreciate that. I mean, the new creation I had wanted to talk to me, we can get there is understanding like divine mercy, novenas, all that kind of stuff. Steph and I, um, when this comes out, we'll have wrapped it up, but I feel like, and I still like my job on the podcast a lot of times, <laughs> just be super honest. I had never really done the divine mercy chaplet. And yeah. um, when we started to kind of dive into it right now, and it just fascinates me. I mean, Steph knows all these prayers, um, even, during prayer this morning, the, the morning prayer, I looked over and the priests were just like reciting it. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm at on the page, like all the above, but I kind of dive into it and not, I definitely have no idea the purpose behind it or how it even started or what it is, you know, that kind of stuff. And a lot of those novenas, while I know they're quote unquote, super powerful, this one had really kind of I don't know. I woke up and was just like, it'd be hopefully someday we can get there of like understanding where these came from. We should have Steph on there. Come talk about it. Cause I'm not the Novena guy. I'm like, I'm a little, I'm like, Novenas are fine. Novenas are just nine days of prayer, but I'm, I think Catholic sometimes it's like, 
I, the, the center of the faith is faith. It's like loving God, losing your life, trusting him. And I feel like sometimes it's just easy to make it about, and not, they're not opposed and probably someone will write and tell me that, which is, I agree, but it's, it's not about like a novena. It's not like we have to do nine days of prayer and you recite these things, you do this and then you get that. That's fine. Those are good things. But, but I just think it's easy to like fixate on that, you know? Yeah. And a lot of Catholics, I just think there's an emphasis there that I just would not place there. And I guess here's my challenge on the, not to you, but in that vein of, again, Steph is so gifted with all that kind of stuff, but it, it is just a question for me of like, and not a Steph thing, but just Catholics in that, that do dive into novenas, all that kind of stuff. It was, they learn it, you learn it in grade school, um, like at a Lord's or whatever. And yep. then sure, you know, the right verbiage and the, you have a kind of an understanding. I would assume, obviously I don't know, but do you like you've done it for 10, 15, 20, 45 years, 90 years, you're no longer the young priest and you've been doing it forever mm. and not directly referencing priests. I'm sure they do, but it is just kind of one of those things where I'm like, man, okay, you've, you've done it. It's even as simple as when you explain the, our father um. versus I knew it from any given Sunday, Al Pacino in the locker room. I had, that was like a football movie that it kind of was like right. all football teams started doing it. And I start to check the box. So sure, I can stand up a mass and recite it. Yeah, there's deeper stuff to it. 100%. Uh, there is. And there, I mean, for me, the Our Father is in a different category because it's revealed oh, totally. by Jesus himself. Yeah. But, but Divine Mercy, you know, Divine Mercy is a big deal. Shout out John Martin. He is, if I've ever met anyone in my life who's into the Divine Mercy, it's John Martin. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's huge on Divine Mercy. He sends me, there's a daily reflection he gets that he'll send me sometimes, but they're really good. And Jesus revealed that to St. Faustina. But it's not, the church wouldn't put it in the same category as scripture or tradition because it's a private revelation. So okay. you don't even have to believe that it happened to be a good Catholic. I don't know anyone who denies it. And the concept of divine mercy certainly is scriptural. And, and I believe in Faustina's, you know, revelations. But oh. anyway. Your, uh, Greek, your Greek word of the day. Uh, no, no. I've got one. You've got one? Pi to go go. <laughs> pi to go go. Ta. Pi ta? Pi to go go. It's a D in there. So a delta. Oh, dang it. So it's pi to go go's. Go go's. Yeah. Pi to go go's. I tried really hard to remember that. Yeah. That's a good, it's a good word. That's where we get the word pedagogy. It basically means nanny or babysitter. Paul uses it in Galatians 3. That's another story. I was so excited to use that against you. Dang it. Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Uh, happy Easter. Love you all. Congratulations to our new Catholics. Send us an email, rant at lordsdenver.org. And uh, we'll see you next time. Groucho, we're stoked <laughs> for you. <laughs> Sco buffs. <laughs>